0: It nine minutes after five o'clock and it's time for the interview and as we've said um that uh, for for as the as we build up to the elections on a thursday at five o'clock we're going to be focusing on the manifestos of political parties that have launched. We had hoped to have the EFF also to join us today. Um, but of course, they have that press briefing that they had earlier on today. So maybe we'll have them at a, different, at, a, at, a, at a different stage. But what we also want to do is as we look at the economy and focus on the economy and the economic proposals that are made by political parties to also gauge what it is that you and I as the electorate should be looking out for. What do some of these proposals mean? How do we interrogate some of these proposals that are made uh, by political parties? And sometimes, you know, um, being in opposition is that you can um, you can just make all of these uh, promises, um, um, outrageous promises sometimes that, you know, won't be attained. But because you are an opposition benches, or not even on opposition benches. You are a newly formed political party, but you believe that you have the strategies and as well as the skills and the necessary policy interventions to change the trajectory of the country. And today we are joined by Duma Kubule, who is a columnist as well as an independent economist, to speak to us about that. What is it that you and I need to be alert of as we look at the election manifestos of political parties, but focusing on the economy and as well as this big, 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 big issue of unemployment. And remember, during the State of the Nation address, the president said, um, that the country is experiencing the worst unemployment rate ever. So over the next few weeks, we will be speaking to political parties on the election manifestos and focusing specifically on their promises when it comes to how they will change the economic fortunes of the nation. Today, we continue the series by unpacking if the economic proposals of the political parties that have launched their manifestos are realistic. Uh, for those who may not know, the Economic Freedom Fighters, the African Transformation Movement, as well as and Zanzi, have launched their manifestos. So far, our next guest has been critical of the economic proposal, saying employment should be at the center of the economic proposals and will help us understand the feasibility of these manifestos in accessible language so our listeners can grapple with the ideas on the table. And please feel free to ask any question and any clarity that you need with regards to understanding um, the economy, understanding the proposals that are being made so that you can also make an informed decision. Duma Kubole is now joining us on the line. Duma, good afternoon, and thank you so much for making time for us.
1: Thank you, Aldrin. How are you? Yeah.
0: Okay. Thank you so much. Um, Duma, before we start off the conversation, I just want to play this clip uh, from the president in his response to the SONA debate earlier on today, where the president speaks about um, unemployment, where the president speaks about the state of the economy. Just listen to what you have to say, and then we start the conversation.
2: Old and young, the commercial world Banning Ige Abant Bagiti Banning abantu Bagiti Yebo Baya Supek Banning abantu Bagiti Abatan Ruguti Gubernantu Togo La South Africa Baya Tan Ruguti Is South Africa Lelizelabo Lipumele Pambi. Many people cannot find jobs. Even people with jobs wonder if they will be able to provide for their families as the cost of living increases. Yes, load shedding has had a devastating impact on every aspect of our lives. And yes, corruption as it has unfolded over the number of years has also had a negative impact. Violent crime continues to plague communities across our country. And I have been clear and direct and honest about outlining all the challenges that our people are facing.
0: Thank you so much once again for making time for us. So listening into what the president have to say there, how would you describe the state of our economy in relation to its ability or lack of ability to create jobs?
1: Okay, the first thing I think that I should say is that, you know, there was a poll that was done recently. I think it was commissioned by Change Starts Now. It shows that 75% of voters rate the jobs crisis as the number one priority for them this year. And what I've seen is that what. South Africans need to put all the politicians under pressure to, if the manifesto is not giving a credible path towards full employment, they're basically wasting our time. Getting to what the president was saying, South Africans must understand the scale of the unemployment crisis. There is 11.7 million unemployed people in South Africa. The unemployment rate is 41.2%. So you can't, unemployment is a macroeconomic policy problem. You can't address it through um, projects. And I just want to say one thing. What we've seen from the political parties is that most of them are saying it's a skills problem. It's a problem for skills mismatch. And let me just explain one thing is that um, if you look from quarter four, 2008 to quarter three, 2023, um, 500,000 young people lost their jobs. 564,000 people lost their jobs. There are no jobs. So as you as a political party, when you're just the only solution to the unemployment crisis is to train people, that is not enough. So you must give us a credible path towards full employment. Let me give you another statistic. Is that according to my calculation, it will take we are 800,000 people will enter the labor force every year until 2035. So we have to create jobs for that 800,000 and 11.7 million people who are currently unemployed. So there's a relationship between GDP growth and employment. It's called the employment multiplier. So when GDP increases by 1% um, employment increases by what? 0.9%. I've observe this relationship over the past 20 years so what that means in practice is that we need to create 4.2 percent gdp growth rate just to create jobs for the people who are entering the labor force let alone the ones who are already unemployed now what is the situation in south africa today for six years under this administration they have not come out with a plan to create um GDP growth, and employment. The SONA didn't come up with a plan to create GDP growth, employment creation, or address the load-shedding crisis. Yeah. So what I'm, let me just give you a final statistics, Aldrin. Um, our GDP per, per person in 2023 was lower than it was in 2007. It is forecast to continue declining for another three years. By the end of 2026, we will have a lower average living standards than we had with ever declining average living standards for 19 years. So we can't continue doing the same failed economic policies and expect a different result. Yeah. yeah.
0: So so if we look at the GDP figures, for instance, and you look at the comparative analysis that are done on the continent, um, why is it that South Africa would be is perceived or that according to the data, at least I think even the IMF has the same data um, that South Africa is said to be the third or the second biggest economy after Nigeria or after or after Egypt. However, though, our unemployment rate is so high and on top of that also is the inequality. So how do we link the GDP to the job question?
1: Yes, okay. So first of all, um, we've got the highest GD- um, unemployment rate in the world. Number two is Djibouti. Number three is the West Bank and Gaza. These are statistics for last year before the genocide. So what I'm trying to say is that So the first thing that we need to do is that there's that relationship between GDP growth and employment. So we have to get our economy growing again. Now, the average um, emerging market, according to the IMF, it's a category of about 155 countries, including um, many in Africa. They have been growing at 4% without much effort. Why are we as South Africans not growing for like almost two decades you know i mean for 16 years we haven't seen proper growth so we've our our growth has collapsed to about 1.2 percent from 2009 to 2023 so that is what the political parties should be talking about in the manifesto what are you going to do to get that growth rate going up again and it requires us in the short term to solve the escom and the logistics crisis but we must understand aldrin is that before we had these crises, both these crises started in 2018, not 2007. Before we had these crises, our economy wasn't performing when we didn't have the ESCOM and the THINK crisis. So if we solve them, it just takes us back to the situation we were before we had these crises. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, the EFF makes a proposal. They say they should establish or they will establish a state-owned housing and roads company, which speaks, of course, having a construction, I guess, a, a, a state-owned construction company. I remember a similar proposal was made by um, the chairperson of the ANC in the Northern Cape and the premier, Azamani Sol, um, that that is something that the province would want to pursue. But is that the answer? or part well, of the answer. Yeah, we
1: can yeah yeah but it's not the answer because the, the real well it is I don't have a problem with the state owned construction company but the problem is that our infrastructure spending has collapsed since 2015 to 2022 by 38%. Everywhere in South Africa our communities are falling apart. So it's a macroeconomic policy issue for the government to start spending again on its infrastructure and its people. So that is the issue of economic policy, macroeconomic policy. We have to change our priorities. The budget is coming next week. There is no logic, Aldrin, in cutting expenditure on infrastructure because infrastructure creates the income to pay more than pay for itself. They are huge, what we call multipliers. Every rand spent on infrastructure spending it results in a return for the government of 2.7 times, according to the IMF. So there's no logic whatsoever in cutting infrastructure spending. And so our people need, there's a housing backlog of about 3 million. We we need infrastructure for schools, for hospitals, for everything. So we need to start rebuilding our country. We need a Marshall plan for this economy. So the political parties, when they come up with um, proposals, do not talk to the macroeconomic policy constraints, this insane austerity policies that the government is embarking on. We cannot create jobs with austerity here.
0: We cannot create jobs with austerity. Where does the money come from? Because that's an argument that is always put forward. Uh, And we've also seen um, that there's been now a slight decline in the money. There's been a slight decline in the corporate income tax. So where does this money come from that government would then be able to um, plough back into um, into our economy, economy through infrastructure?
1: I've just come out of a conference for the past two days in Cape Town where we're discussing this matter by hosted by the AITC. Now, basically we came up with three options. Yeah, well, two options. The first one is um, our central bank can finance economic development. They can finance government spending um, into infrastructure and so forth. Yeah, that's number one. Number two, South Africa's got a huge public sector balance sheet with assets of about 4 trillion rands, which we can tap into. I'll use one example. During COVID, there's something called the UIF. During COVID, yep. um, there were, you know, when during COVID, the UIF took 60 billion Rands off its surplus to pay 13.8 million people who were temporarily unemployed. In the budget documents next week, you will see that the the forecast for National Treasury is that the UIF would have a surplus of 110 billion Rands. I don't know if the it will still be the same, but yep. there's still a surplus there. So one thing we should be investing in as well is the expansion of public employment schemes. We've got um, three major public employment schemes. It's the expanded public works program, the presidential employment stimulus, and we've also got the the community works program. According to my calculation, they create 1.8 million work opportunities and 900,000 full-time equivalent jobs a year. So we should cap- put... There is something called the employment tax incentive. It has failed dismally, and it's uh, seven billion rand. So I'm saying let us take funds from the unemployment insurance fund surplus, and also from this failed employment tax incentive, and double or treble the, the amount of public jobs that are creation because GDP growth alone would not be enough to create. Um, the employment. So I've seen that most of the political parties haven't talked about public employment as a solution. The EFF correctly said that the expanded public works program must start providing full time jobs. And I agree as well that these public employment programs, we must increase the quality of the jobs that they have, we must increase the skills that the people get on these jobs. And then we must also inc- not just two days a week it must be almost like full, full. i mean full-time jobs if people want them but some people may not want to have full-time jobs because they're doing other things yeah. but we must give the, the opportunity for people to get full-time jobs so there's no way around it we have to do gdp growth we have to do public employment programs and i've been arguing and um, Aldrin, that we should amalgamate these three programs into one with a new quasi-public institution that, that has got civil society oversight and that will create jobs, bottom-up jobs, as you saw during the Presidential Employment Stimulus, which was a very successful program during COVID, yeah.
0: Yeah. 0614104107. And you can also drop me an X at Aldrin St. Pierre. We're in conversation with Dumat Kubule, looking at the, the economic proposals that are made by political parties that have launched their manifestos so far. Any questions that you have in contribution to the conversation?
3: Zero six one four one zero four one zero seven. Good day, uh Aldrin and SAFM listeners. Aldrin can you ask your guest uh, what is the impact of the around collusion by the bank, by by the banks? What is the impact to un- unemployment? Because I don't want us to to blame. The ANC government but the those who contributed are not accountable for this unemployment. I thank you. Michael Good evening Eldrin and SAFM listeners. Now Ramaphosa talks about the cost of living increasing. Um, what about they as a government? They have also caused this cost of living to increase by their borrowing they've entered the credit market in order to borrow more money in order to finance their deficits because they don't have enough revenue so they as a government are also putting pressure upon borrowers thanks this is the line of remote bank
0: okay uh, Duma, is there any link between the rand manipulation or currency manipulation, the performance of the economy, um, linked to uh, linked to job creation or unemployment?
1: Um, it was. A, I think all the people w- who did the rand ma- manipulation, they must be prosecuted and brought to account. But I doubt that it had a major impact on job creation. The second issue, in terms of the government, is that um, the government has also been increasing prices, administered prices. The ESCOM price increases are just um, unaffordable. So we have to find another way to ad- address these whole issues in, in terms of the administered prices by the government. And I would argue that we need to pursue a public employ I mean, a public electricity strategy in terms of providing uh, subsidies to um to these electricity prices. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, Um, let's quickly look at what and Mzansi is saying. Um, When it comes to manufacturing, which is something that we've been speaking a lot about um, because of its potential to actually employ, of course, we've got an issue around load shedding and the impact that that has on uh, manufacturing. But they say, we will enable fast-track investment in production capacity that integrates South Africa into lucrative global supply chains. Affected sectors include the automobile, mining, chemical technology, as well as medicine, amongst others. What do you make of that?
1: No, I think it makes sense, although we have to learn a little bit more about the details because I don't understand what that means practically for the person who's unemployed. Yes, I, I don't understand. So I think they should provide more detail of what that means. I don't understand what it means. Yep. Yeah.
0: Okay, let's, let's expand a bit then on the manufacturing and the ability of manufacturing to create employment. Today, actually, I was listening to the President during the State of the Nation address saying that we are manufacturing trains and I was saying to the team, where are we manufacturing the trains? Because there's a difference between manufacturing and assembling.
1: Okay, so I've talked about the levers to create jobs. The first one I said is GDP growth. We must get it up. The government must stop the austerity. They must start spending money into the economy. That's number one. Number two is public employment. Number three is um, what you're talking about, industrial policy. So what industrial policies do is to change the structure of the economy towards sectors, especially manufacturing and industry that are going to create jobs for the people and the people who have the level of skills that we have, not the level of skills that we wish they had. So unfortunately, um, our industrial, we don't have industrial policies in South Africa the spending of industrial policy is about 0.3% of gross domestic product. We use too few policy tools compared to the Asian countries in terms of what they do towards um, industrialize their countries. So I would argue that that's why I, we must have an overhaul of this industrial policy. We must increase spending significantly and we must expand the policy tools towards industrial policy. So what we are having currently is that, um yeah, that... It's completely inadequate. We've got 10 master plans in South Africa by the DTIC together. And I I don't like counting the tourism one as a master plan. If we exclude that one, they employ about 1 million people or 2 million people with tourism. That's about 12% of total employment. It is not a comprehensive response to the jobs crisis. And I was in a meeting with the ANC where they said that they are going to, you know, center their employment and growth strategy on industrialization. But that is what they've been talking about for 30 years. And Mm -hmm. we have seen no results whatsoever from the so-called industrialization strategy that does not exist here.
0: Yeah. Um, Quickly on um, ATM saying that let's uh, try to prevent monopolies and uh, oligopolies by promoting fair competition and preventing anti-competitive practice. What impact does that have on job creation, though?
1: Yeah, I think it's a very good thing because it can create jobs for I mean for opportunities for SMEs. We have to we have to break the capitalist monopolies in every sector of our economy. And you know, Aldrin, if you compare us with maybe other developing countries and African countries, I, I'll use I don't know, we we're just talking about about Kenya recently. Is that they don't have this monopoly retailers, monopoly in every sector's and um, so you have a lot of um so you have a lot of um what, what you call it a diversity of a small a higher informal sector where people are employed and in south africa our informal sector is very low it's one of the lowest in terms of percentage of employment of developing countries so most developing countries create opportunities in the informal sector and we don't do that because of this um, Monopolised structure of our economy. Yes.
0: Yeah. Duma, I'm going to beg for your indulgence. We just quickly need to go to the news headlines. I'd love us to continue the conversation. I see that our listeners are now sending through the voice notes, comments as well as the questions, and I'd love to hear your response to that. It is uh, half past five. It's time for the news headlines. Hashtag SAFMBTH. Zero six one four one zero four one zero seven, and you can also drop me an X at Aldrin Simpia. Our studio line is 860002032 zero triple zero two zero three two. We're still in conversation with uh, Duma Kubule, who is a columnist as well as an independent economist, as we have a conversation focusing on um, the election manifesto proposals when it comes to the economy, but also looking at the state of our current economy. So you can send through your voice notes as well as your questions. Just quickly, um, Duma, before we go to before we go back to the Boy, back to the voice notes. What the Jimmy was speaking now um, about with the Post Bank. What what solution is it that the Post Bank is providing when it becomes a state bank? What is it that you think that we're trying to fix here?
1: Um, I think w- what in an ideal world, what we're trying to fix is availability of credits to SMEs. Um, uh, if if we have a properly capitalised Post Bank it can be capitalized by the central bank. I would argue that it must provide three products. Number one, it must provide um, SME finance because the private sector and the state, the DFIs have failed. Number two, it must provide affordable housing solutions. I believe that the government must take over all low cost housing below a million rands and provide a window from the central bank that will provide loans at less than what you find at the banks I'm talking about um, 5%, 6%, whatever. And the third thing it must do, I think we have to really completely change the face of our public transport system, our taxis. Number one, um, we need a f- subsidized public transport. There must be subsidies from the Department of Transport, number one. Number two, there must be subsidized finance. You might have read about transaction capital. They give loans of up to 27% on these taxes. Yep. No wonder we have such a bad situation. So I think government must take over this industry with mm-hmm. the taxi owners. They must, b- we can build, um, you know, new taxis, um, construct them in South Africa. We must just restart the fleet from scratch and, um, create jobs through mass public housing, redesigning our public transport system and so forth. So that is what a proper, um, state bank should do. It should take over sectors where, you know, there's uh, some kind of market failure in the private sector.
0: Yeah. Well, um, the Competition Commission has done extensive work around that, specifically on the taxis and public transport. And um, I remember the then Minister of Transport, now Secretary General of the ANC, said that uh, there is a subsidy that will come for the taxi industry, and we're still waiting. But anyway, let's quickly go to the voice note: zero six one four one zero four one zero seven.
1: The problem with government spending is that the bulk of it gets taken by corruption the actual amount that gets left over and gets spent on the infrastructure is almost nothing in comparison to what's being actually spent. Uh,
3: Just a quick one, Aldrin. Are these policies for the economy uh, arising from us as South Africans economists or we have been uh, been fed or being designed from offshores? I just want to know, because if it is ours, why is it not uplifting our own economy? The policies are always failing us. What is wrong? And also, if you may ask the guest, how about reducing the load of the few who are in the market or in the economy um, uh, to spread it amongst the poor or develop the poor, even though it's a vision for 20 years to come, for the coming generation. Thank you.
0: I don't understand that last part, though. Uh, but we'll go back to... I lost it as well, yeah, yeah, I yeah. don't understand yeah. that last but uh, but let's get this next voice note.
3: Good afternoon? I listen to your experts a lot on your program, Alden, especially the ones on economic and they make a hell a lot of sense what he's saying. My worry is our president is being advised by some sort of a economic advisory committee or whatever you want to call
1: him and it doesn't seem that they're doing a good job because these guys talking on the radio makes more sense than what the policies are. So shouldn't the president take into consideration what some of these people are saying on the radio also? Richard Cape Town.
0: Okay. Uh, Duma, your, your your take on that, including the element around who advises the president, I know a bit earlier on you did speak about the, the role that civil society should also be playing.
1: Yes, um, there's a presidential advisory council. You know, Aldrin, you know, with due respect, the reports that they have received, released and on their website. Not one of those reports that I've read a few weeks ago have addressed the issue of the unemployment crisis. Do you see what I'm saying? So the big core problem, Aldrin, which I forgot to mention, the NDP set a target of 5.4% GDP growth, yeah. and then 11 million jobs by 2030, 90% of them by SMMEs. But guess what? Nobody is responsible for meeting those targets. National Treasury only cares about debt, The Reserve Bank only cares about inflation. So one of the things that we have to do, which I have argued, is that we must make this the mandate of national trade. We must have a GDP growth target of 6% that is non-negotiable for National Treasury and the central bank. And they must also have a jobs mandate and an inflation mandate. So once they have that triple mandate at the central bank, they'll begin to, to think, you know, how can the central bank fund industrialization to increase the labor intensity of growth in South Africa? So we must come up, we must, we, there's too many distractions, Aldrian, in South Africa every single day. There's nothing else that we should think about. There should be competitions. Everybody must talk about what can be done to create jobs. The presidential advisory committee, some of them, I know them. I don't think they're going to do a good job here.
0: Okay, 0614-104107, and your ex at Aldrin, St. Pierre.
3: Hi, Aldrin, and your guest is Dumzi from Cape Town. Uh, Earlier on, I was listening to a program where someone was commenting that the francophone countries, their reserve bank is in France. They don't have sovereignty over their finance or their monetary policy. Then I'm thinking that... Whilst we may be looking at that as a bad thing, here in South Africa our own reserve bank is privately owned. It it, it simply means the same thing that we do not have sovereignty over our monetary policy. And the reserve bank is sent on a wild goose chase of inflation targeting, yet it could be the one that is powering our economy because our economy is based on money. Also, uh, the present administration has been cutting down expenditure on economic development, which, is, which does not make sense. My question is, should the state play a bigger role in employment creation, or should the economy remain dominated by private enterprise? Sorry to be long.
4: Um, good afternoon, Adrian and listeners. Uh, great show as always, uh, great guests. One question for me what is an impact of tender systems for everything uh, to the unemployment or to the state uh, in which we find our economy at example a security guard for the hospital the government pays an average of 15000 rand to the service provider but the actual employee get about 5,000. So if the government can insource um, all these positions, what what will that have in terms of employment and uh, economy? Thanks very much.
0: Well, Duma, actually, the EFF is proposing that there be a state-owned company um, that has security offices, that solely deals with security office. What do you make of what's being mentioned now? And then also the issue around, should the state play a bigger role in job creation? Remember, during last year's States of the Nation address, the president said it's not the role of the state.
1: Okay. First of all, I forgot to answer the first question about um, corruption. You know. Yes, yes. We have, yeah, so what I would like to say is that we need to innovate in terms of institutions. Can we create a new quasi-public institution that is going to be solely focused on amalgamating all the government's public employment programs? How can we create it from day one with a proper governance structure, with a, quasi public um quasi and um, with civil society oversight something like the solidarity fund because the solidarity fund was a response to covid and from what i heard it delivered on its mandate because it was professionally managed it had some kind of civil society oversight maybe not enough but we have to innovate in terms of institutions secondly this the other Listener, He's talked about the central bank. That's exactly what I was talking about. The central bank can't be independent of national goals. That is completely absurd. And as he correctly said, the central bank can power. It can become the most important institution in our country. It can industrialize our economy. It can create loans for small business. Just before COVID, I was in China. And the central bank in China, because Chinese economy is also centralized around large state-owned companies, they were introducing a new facility for small and medium enterprises. During COVID, the U.S. Fed introduced facilities for small and medium enterprises. During COVID, the European Central Bank, and before COVID, was introducing facilities for small and medium enterprises. So South Africa, we have to do more for our small and medium enterprises. The last one, and I agree that there's a lot of waste that goes into these tenders and i think the eff is correct in calling for um insourcing of a lot of these functions and the surplus i don't think it will create as many jobs as the eff says it will because you'll be employing people who are already employed to use the example of this the 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 listener um you will be paying the guy five thousand rand, but you'll be saving maybe five thousand rand as well which can be used to create uh, other services for the government. So I think there could be a lot of savings in terms of, um, unnecessary, you know, profiteering from the private sector. And if it is, pr- if these state owned enterprises are efficiently run, then we could have a situation where the government can spend on other things. to Grow the economy, but I agree with the EFF. We must insource many of these tenders. These tenders are wasteful. Um, um, uh, the use of consultants, the use of um, security firms. You have what you call a government that is just managing tenders and not doing stuff. So I would agree with them. construction company for the state, I would agree with a a security company for the state as well. Okay, just
0: a quick final one. Um, Do you think that there are any lessons uh, for the country, for our our politicians to learn from the Singapore story?
1: The Singapore story, it is about, from what I read, it's about single-minded. The example that I read in Lee Kuan Yew's book, you know, he says, when we got independence, um, I had no clue How i'm going to create jobs for my people and the british had left and you know they had a base a military base that was a big portion of the economy and the first first thing he thought of how am i going to employ my people and he says the first person he met was a british businessman who says i want to make fish hooks and he says fish hooks will create so much employment for so many people in singapore and then he went ahead and you said that is the first thing that, so I'm just saying, for what I know, it was a single-minded focus on your people. Now, we focus on the wrong things, Aldrin. We focus on the budget deficit, but if you focus on the people, you know, the people, the employment, the budget will take care of itself. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, thank yeah. you so much, duma Kubule, the economist, uh, as well as a columnist, speaking to us about the state of the economy, the economic proposals that are made uh, by political parties as we go into the elections. And I hope there's something that you got out of that. And we will continue the conversation and the discourse around the economy and the proposals made by various political parties. And every week um, around this time, we'll have a political party focusing on the manifesto and the economic proposals.